Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Money, Raul from Hialeah, baby. I'm in my car, I'm driving around, I'm happy, baby. Driving around with the windows down, sucking back a couple of green leases, baby. You know why? Do you know why, money? Because Blake Baker is gone. Ding dong, Baker's gone. Baker's gone, the Baker's gone. He's going to LS the Jew, money, with Eduardo Orgeron. Yes. His name is Eduardo and his last name is Ojerón. He is officially Cuban for this act that he has committed on behalf of the Hurricanes. It's like a, like this, the, the Japanese warriors, the samurais, when they pull out the sword and to do something honorable, to kill themselves, they, they commit the harikari. Uh, the, the, whatever you do, like the Cubs announcer that used to call the games. Anyway, very good job by Ed, Eduardo Ojerón. Thank you for taking the Blake Baker away from us. He couldn't bake no defenses up. He couldn't bake no turnovers. The guy couldn't even bake pastelitos. He needs to go. His cafecito was sour. His, uh, his chicken pot pie was dry. He did nothing right, Manny. Nothing. And now we got Manny Diaz back in charge, baby. At the hang, running the show, ready to bring the pressure and let everybody know that we steal the Jew, baby. Okay? Have you seen the schedule, Manny? Have you seen the schedule? Listen. Aside from Alabama, que Dios no bendiga, I'm going to be lighting up 16 candles that day. Not like Molly Ring World, but I'm going to be lighting up 16 candles to make sure that we go ahead and win that game against Alabama. Man, if we win that game against Alabama, man, if we win that game against Alabama, man, we are going to the national champion kicks. We're going to play Central Connecticut State, Guajiro University. We're going to beat the crap out of Michigan State because they're not Michigan State anymore. They're half a state. They're more like a Michigan County. And then we're going to roll over Appalachian Estates. Uh, these people with the barbas, they got the long beards and the, and the axes. They all look like Paul Bunyans, but they can play football. We're going to beat them, Manny. We're going to beat them all. I cannot wait. Kelvin said 15 and all, 13 and all. We're going 75 and all this year, Manny. I don't care if there's not 75 games on the schedule. We're going 75 and all. Dale, you heard it here from Raul first. 
All right, welcome back. New episode of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, your host, Miami Hurricanes beat writer at The Athletic. It is Thursday night, January 28th, around 9, 10 p.m., and I've got Kelvin Harris with me here uh, to do this episode. Kelvin, of course, a three-time national champion with the Hurricanes and a uh, a guy who's still very much plugged in with the uh, not only the current players but the former players. And obviously interesting development tonight, Kelvin, as uh, the rumors about defensive coordinator and linebackers coach Blake Baker taking the job at LSU came to fruition. Uh, I heard earlier today, probably around two o'clock from our LSU beat writer, that it was going to be finalized. And sure enough, uh, it was right around five o'clock and then LSU sent out an alert. A tweet a little while ago sort of making it official on their end um I know you didn't necessarily blame uh Blake Baker for Miami's defensive struggles I know you were a supporter of his and think he's a good coach uh what do you think of his departure to LSU and as far as maybe you know what instigated this uh how much of this do you think this is Manny Diaz thinking okay Blake you need to go get a new job and we need you out of here. We need to hire somebody else versus maybe Blake reading the tea leaves and saying, you know what? <clears throat> I'm not calling plays anymore. This is the better opportunity for my career. What, what's your reaction, I guess, to, to those questions? Uh, yeah, it was Ron likes him. Okay. So he's the, that's the only desire it is because um doesn't really matter what Manny thinks or it or uh, – Blake, Coach O didn't like him. He wouldn't have a job. Right. So obviously, obviously, Coach O didn't uh, like him. Coach O. And look, there's there's no way. So basically, the uh, coordinator as well. Because he wouldn't get this job if the D coordinator wasn't, you know, comfortable with him. You're not going to bring a guy in to be the head of your defense and then you just saddle him with a guy he doesn't know. You know what I'm saying? And that's just an uncomfortable situation. And especially after the last couple of years with uh, stuff that happened with Matt Canada and then last year with, uh, with Bo Pelini, I just don't see Ogeron letting that happen. That's just not how he operates. Now, I mean, he had gotten some pressure a couple of years ago, and he made some uh, made some really good changes. Honestly, it kind of parallels what I see what Manny does in the offseason. You know, he went out and got Joe Brady, and he went back to the well – uh, this year. So, um, you know, if you're staying in the same position, you're not getting better because you're either going to get better or you're going to get worse. And, um, you know, seems to me like um, they feel like Blake is perfect for their situation. I mean, he knows Louisiana. Uh, he's got D.C., um, uh, 
DC uh, experience. I mean, it, it's a win-win for them. I mean, of course, our people think it's a win-win for us. But I'm just curious. As, I mean, I'm going to pose a question to the, the listeners. I need the listeners to name me three top linebacker coaches y'all think would take this job. And I ain't talk, I'm talking about people that's got jobs right now. Nobody unemployed. People with jobs. And see how many people respond to you on that. It's going to be crickets. Well, uh-uh. <clears throat> I mean, I'm sure Manny has an idea who he wants to replace him with. But, you know, I, just, I think I, I got enough faith in Manny that I think that he will replace the guy with a competent coach. He's been on a roll. So he gets the benefit of the doubt as far as, you know, staff upgrades. But, you know, you just hate, you know, there's going to be some uncomfortable moments, I think, necessarily for him because if you look at it, it's just him and Packy back. So, that you know, on the defensive side, I mean, he's familiar with DVD, but DVD's never coached under him. You know, so it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an entirely different dynamic, as you mentioned. Coach Packy, who is the special teams coordinator and strikers coach, is the one guy who's back now, now that Baker's officially gone. And so you're going to have new voices in there. Obviously, T-Rob, Coach Jess Simpson, the defensive line coach. And then you mentioned Demarcus Van Dyke being there in a coaching capacity. Uh, obviously, they need to hire one more assistant. And, you know, some people are thinking that, you know, maybe it's going to be a defensive coordinator, a guy who would come in and take away the play calling from Manny and, and handle those responsibilities. And no, not happening. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think, you know, you don't hire the defensive coordinator last. You hire him first whenever you're rebuilding a unit. And so I think it's more along. Well, the- well okay, let's just say, let's just say that that, that train of thought might be in Manny's uh, wheelhouse. Who, who's out there is he getting that he feels would be better than him that has that, that has a job? See, you know, I, I, I gave you this stat earlier. My homework gave you this stat for you. 32 defensive coordinators have changed positions at the end of the season. 32. Mm-hmm. So that's why, like, I don't pay attention to our fans because, you know, be quite frank, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. None of these fan bases. And the sad part about it is a lot of these coaches, because, you know, you know, guys are living good lifestyles. And they get used to it. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to make tough decisions because a lot of these guys don't have confidence in themselves. And so they fall for the banana in the tailpipe. That's why I don't feel sorry for them when they get their ass fired. Because, you know, if you have confidence in what you're doing, you know what I'm saying, and your people, you know, you don't listen, you know, you, you, you know, obviously you got to take some advice. But you don't just go out and just make rash decisions. And I just see a lot of coaches doing that, basically because they're trying to save their own ass. 
but that never works. Never works. So what do you, why do you think Manny, you don't, you don't think Manny had anything to do with this decision? No. I was, I was really cool with him like that. I mean, listen, before we played LSU two years ago, he was on the sideline telling Sapp and other people that we was predictable as fuck and they was going to blow us out. So what would make you think that he would go and do a favor to somebody he has no respect for? Well, I'm not saying he's doing them a favor. All I'm saying is that there had to have been a conversation at some point or another, the same way Manny had those conversations with Mike Rumpf and, you know, Todd Stroud and, you know, Ephraim Banda <clears throat> and said, hey, you know, this is my plan for the offseason, right? I mean, I can't imagine that, you know, his loyalty to these guys, the guys that he brought in, that he hired when he became coach, that he didn't have some level of a conversation with them about what he wanted to improve and what kind of changes he was considering. And so, I mean, obviously at some point he had to have told Blake Baker, hey, I'm taking the play, play calling duties away from you. And yeah, at that you're point, missing the point here. You're missing the point. Yeah, I could see if Blake left to go to say, I don't know, Kentucky or someplace. Look, ain't ain't gonna be no hey, all right, they took my play calling away. I'm going to LSU. It don't work like that. Always Roney, that type of dude. It's just they like him. Manny's not in this equation. Okay. That's the way you see it. I mean, I, I guess it's fair to raise the question and to, and to think about, you know, kind of what happened because Manny, you know, let's not forget, he went on the radio a couple of weeks ago with Joe Rose and said he was done with the coaching. Right. I mean, it was pretty much a uh, done deal. This was supposed to be his staff. Uh, the recruiting class was pretty much sealed up, sealed up with the three transfers and the 24 recruits in the class altogether. And, you know, obviously this is a development that I guess happened somewhere between then and now. And so um, he's gone now and he's at LSU and he's the linebackers coach. He's no, he's not the defensive coordinator like he was here, which he still at least had the title of defensive coordinator. But he's making more money. Well, we'll see. We'll see how much more, more money he's making. Right. I mean, uh, no, you know, Miami's salaries aren't public because they're a private school. Um, but LSU is a public school. And so we'll be able to see at some point how much money he's making over there at, uh, at LSU. Um, either way that creates a coaching void on my, on Miami staff. And as we mentioned earlier, you know, will Manny, uh, you know, what is he looking for to fill that 10th assistant, the fifth assistant on defense or the fifth defensive coach? Um, obviously he needs a linebackers coach, somebody who could, uh, come in and help recruit the position better and, and you know, improve a unit that, quite frankly, when you look at it on the team, to me, it's the, it's the worst position right now. It's the one that needs the biggest upgrade in terms of yeah, quality of play. So some names that are out there, okay, and these, and these are names that I've heard today from having conversations with national beat writers at The Athletic, like Bruce Feldman and Andy Staples, talking to our Florida Gators beat writer, uh, Alan Taylor to ask him some questions about a name that I had heard and, you know, talking to a couple of people in the business, somebody who represents coaches as an agent and somebody else who is very well tapped into the coaching community um, in terms of, you know, working with them hand, hand in hand and, and, and so forth. 
So these are some of the names that I came up with that I, from those conversations. Uh, Auburn's Auburn linebackers coach Travis Williams, who was basically not retained on the new staff. Uh, he's the favorite. What's that? You think he's the favorite? Yeah. Um, he coached obviously with Rhett Lashley and Travaris Robinson at Auburn. He was there as a defensive analyst. Uh, in 2014 before becoming the linebackers coach and he's an Auburn grad. So obviously there's a lot of connections to Miami. Um, somebody mentioned this to me. This was actually somebody who's very well tapped into the coaching circles who said Kevin Steele um, because he's going to get paid by Tennessee. They got to pay him a million dollar buyout now that he's not going to be a part of the new staff there. And essentially uh, if he comes to Miami, he wouldn't cost them very much and, you know, maybe he just spends a year here. Um, this one I heard from an agent who said Tony uh, Pecoraro, who's a former FAU, Southern Miss, North Alabama, and Alcorn State defensive coordinator. He's a quality control analyst at so South Alabama. He's a guy who coached at FSU, uh, kind of came up the same way Manny did as a student assistant. And uh, he's coached linebackers quite a bit in his career, and he recruits the area of South Florida well. Um you know, he's a guy who could potentially fill a role as a linebackers coach. Um, Christian Robinson, who coaches linebackers at Florida. I know he had a, essentially a courtship with uh, with Michigan here the last. I will put him in number two. Yeah, he, Travis Williams. You put him number two? Okay. Yeah, Christian Robinson, who who's a very, very good re recruiter, might be Florida's best recruiter right now. Uh, he was going to go to Michigan. And from my conversation with Alan Taylor earlier today, um, didn't obviously came back to Florida, but the fact that he's looking or was well, Florida, be, Florida is going to up his money, and they're gonna, right? They're which mean Miami tight. would have to pay would would have to pay him more than whatever Florida is going to pay him. Yeah, but there's still not going to be more than what they had to pay Baker last year. Right. Okay. Well, he's a guy, and he's an excellent recruiter. And then, of course, uh, former Hurricane. Michael Barrow, who coached linebackers at Miami with Randy Shannon and Al Golden. He was here from 2007 to, to 2013 before leaving to uh, coach with the Seahawks for three seasons. He's been out of football now for a couple of years, but, you know, he's a guy that obviously loves the program. Uh, I thought did a really good job recruiting here. And, you know, I, why, why wouldn't he come back, right? Yeah, he has the respect of the staff. Um He's on a like I would put him in number three. Okay. Because um the unk the the, the the leader in the clubhouse has got to be um Travis, Travis Williams. Williams. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Right. uh, Yeah, again, these are all names that I've gotten from outside the program. Nobody from inside the program has, has told me that these are guys that are on Manny Diaz's list. And as we've mentioned before here on the podcast, uh, Manny keeps a lot of stuff really close to the vest. I know there's rumors out there and, and these names, some of these names, I guess, have popped up on, on message boards. I was told earlier today by somebody. And so, you know, it, it shouldn't surprise you that they're on our list. I mean, I, I can tell you they came from reputable people who are connected to coaching circles and these were the names that they thought of. So, um, I mean, to me, uh, it still feels like Manny Diaz is going to call the defense next year. He's going to be the guy essentially leading the defense. He took on that responsibility. I don't get the sense he's bringing somebody in to all of a sudden be the defensive coordinator and call plays on game day. Correct or incorrect, Kelvin? Who would he bring in? <laughs> yeah, I guess Kevin Steele might be the only one. Um, Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no reason to. Kevin's not going to know the personnel well enough. Um, I mean, on top of that, that's what you brought in. T. Rob to do at mm-hmm. some point in the future. Right. T. I Rob, think- when he came here, if you were going to bring in Kevin Steele. And Kevin Steele, look, Kevin Steele's not coming to Florida. The reason, uh, first of all, let's go back to why he's at Auburn. He was at LSU. He left LSU to go to Auburn because he's in the Alabama school system and he needed some more years for the pension. So it made sense for him to go back. And they were paying him similar money. Mm-hmm. So, I wouldn't be surprised if he slithers back and becomes the analyst at Alabama, right? Because that will put him back in the Alabama school system. Mm-hmm. One because- name that one name that was interesting that came up earlier today, uh, and, and I guess this was Gary Furman from Kane Sport putting this up. Uh, they put an article, uh, Bob Shoop. Oh. <laughs> who is a former uh, defensive coordinator. I know him well. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's a former defensive coordinator. He's at Mississippi State. Actually, he brought in one of my good friends as an analyst, and he had Pete Buck there, too. Um, no, he can't recruit here. Right, well. He's 109 years old, and he can't recruit. <laughs> well, he's actually 54, and he's going to be. He looks 109. Right, he looks like an older guy. 
and he and he's I think more for a, a defensive analyst role according to Furman at what he said at Kane Sport. I didn't hear I the name shoot today on, at all by anybody. So what's that? Somebody somebody still owes him money if I'm not mistaken. Right, Michigan. He's still under contract with Michigan, yeah, he, and he got he, he got let go there uh, last year. So he's supposed to get paid through the end of this year. He's a former head coach. Uh, you know, yeah, maybe he joins the staff this, and, and you know, kind of the way Todd Stroud, where he's a veteran voice, an analyst that can that can help Miami. And if he's getting paid somewhere else, I'm sure Manny. Now he's, not a, now, he's not a bad defensive coordinator. Um, uh, my man, my man really, you know, he didn't have any problems with him. They got along pretty well. Uh just at the Mississippi State thing, the guy that came in to be coaching Mississippi State was like, was like a fish out of water. He should have never, ever gotten that coaching. But, you know, and so those guys on the defensive side actually rallied around each other. But uh, from, you know, what my man said, you know, dude was pretty good coach. Yeah. Uh, wasn't the greatest, but he was, you know, the older version of Blake Baker. Right. You know, he's got solid principles. Um, it's, you know, a lot of this is basically personnel. But, um, you know, it's going to be interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if Patrick becomes linebacker coach. That's going to make some of you people cringe. But I can tell you from one of my friends who's a head coach, whose son played linebacker, Signed with a Power Five school, a Big Ten Power Five school. Mm. These are words out of his mouth. He said, when they went to the Paradise Camp, the drills that Packy was teaching, his son used all summer and got him that scholarship. So he's a fun, he's kept, he's fundamentally sound. And I think, you know, everybody is all in the uproar over the linebackers last year. Right. Packy been here since what day one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh we had any problems before last past year at his position? No, no. I mean I think he anybody he, have any problems with Romeo Finley? No, the strikers have played well enough, right? They've given him a chance. I thought this past anybody season. have any problems with Doug? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Anybody have problems with Pierce? No. So I think the whole problem here is people is in their feelings and then you get out of their feelings. Mm-hmm. Now, I like to make it this coaching staff because, um, you know, having DVD on the field and, you know, I think, to, you know, Tavares, what I what people are telling me is a little bit more outspoken than what you, you know, you get, you got with, um, with uh, Ron. Right. And he's a lot better recruiter. I mean, I hate to say that because Rump is a pain, but Rump, I don't think he's really like recruiting. And it's not just Rump. It's a lot of guys that don't like recruiting, which is why they don't like coaching college. Right. We talked about that on the show. Yeah, T-Rob, you know, he don't mind getting his sleeves, rolling his sleeves up and getting his his hands dirty, which is good. Mm -hmm. Well, I think think one thing that could be easy is that T-Rob ultimately will, will be much more involved in the game planning. Right, they could uh, just I make think, him yeah. the game planner for, as far as defensive coordinator. Manny still calls the plays on game day. 
Well, I think Manny is going to be involved with all of it. But it'll still probably be the same group effort that it was before. And what I would like is to hear that Ed has input. Ed Reed? You know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much input he had to cash here, but then the other thing was, you know, he had the freedom to move around and do what he wanted. So, you know, it's hard to say exactly how, you know, what what his role is other than, you know, in practice, making, you know, observations and pulling men to the side and the same thing in game. You know, because I'm, I mean, I saw during games, Manny would talk to him quite a bit. But when you got a brain, and I and I sent DVD this message, like, hey, man, you got to take advantage of him. You know, when you get a chance, you got to holler at him. Because, um, you know, it's like having Peyton Manning on the defensive side of the ball. You got to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think the continuity of this year's staff will be a lot better. I agree. I mean, look, when, when you're coaching amongst friends, guys that you bring in, that guys that you were your former assistants, other places, there is a level of comfort. Manny is making himself uncomfortable. He's bringing in guys he hasn't worked with. He didn't work with T-Rob. Yeah, he but spent he one season. Year. Huh? He did that a year before. I mean, he never worked with, uh, what's his name before? Um, uh, Enos? Right. No, obviously the offensive coach has never been a head coach, but I meant in the defensive room, right? There was that continuity yeah. of these were the guys that he coached with the majority of his career, guys that were with him in other places. Banda was with him you know, in other places. Uh, Baker was with him at Louisiana Tech. I mean, there, there were pre- previous relationships. So you get to the point where maybe you get comfortable. And I think now, you know, T-Rob, he's never coached with. Jess Simpson, he spent one year with him before he went back to the NFL. And then DVD's been on staff, but he's never been a coach. So, yeah, you know, to me, you're, you're kind of, you're welcoming, I guess, some different ideas into the room. And that's that's primarily what we're seeing here. And and whoever he hires, whether it's linebackers coach or who knows, maybe it's something else uh, at this point. Maybe Manny just decides to coach the linebackers. Um, I, I think you're you, at least I'm getting a sense here that uh, he, he's fine with sort of welcoming fresh ideas into the room. And Packy's uh, I mean, Baker's departure ultimately uh, welcomes the opportunity to have another new voice. And so. We'll see what happens yeah. here in the coming days and weeks ahead. And, you know, well, that was the big news. Of that, that, just, just simply who's coming from the pros. Mm-hmm. And, you know, interestingly enough, I could see Travis Williams getting his job, not just because he's familiar with Lashley and T-Rob, but because where was he at last year? Oh, he's been at Auburn for the last seven years or six years. Who we play first game of the year? Alabama. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You're right. Um, hey, I got some questions from readers I want to get to. We're going to talk about the schedule as well because that finally came out today. Um, but 15 and 0. <laughs> right. Maddox uh, Sutherland uh, sent this in. He says, Any updates on former Las Vegas Bishop Gorman linebacker uh, Pale Gayotilt? I don't even know how to pronounce it. The kid out of uh, Las Vegas Bishop Gorman. 
Is there any possibility that Miami can still bring him in? No. Look, man, I, I don't know how many different ways I got to say this. I think Miami's done with their scholarships for this cycle. So whoever they bring in next. Well, they're done early for spring. Right. But after spring in the summer, guys can come. Right. And then that would count towards the 22 total, correct? I think so. I think, you know, anybody that enrolls in the spring counts this year, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah. So they if could they could potentially bring him in, in in the fall and then maybe even ask him the gray shirt for a year. I don't know. I don't know how. No, they could bring him in in the summer and he counts next year. 22. Okay. So which means they'd only have 24 scholarships or whatever for next year, just like they did, you know, like this year, they only had 24 and not 25. So, um, all right, well, whatever the case is, right now they can't sign anybody because they've reached the limit for this signing class. Um, yeah. And I don't know what's going to happen with with this kid out of Gorman. He still hasn't found a school. Obviously, you'd like to upgrade the linebacker position, but I also think if you're going to wait until the fall to add somebody, it's got to be somebody who is ready to come in and play in this system. And He's ready to come in and play in this system. Otherwise, otherwise you're <laughs> you're wasting a scholarship. You know, you're you're kind of bringing a guy early when you could just you know wait. I I, I think in this well, in, one guy I wish that we did have room for was the um, the um, the kid from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he was a really good sideline to sideline guy. Nah, he could take on blocks probably a little better. But uh, he made a lot of plays. And he made them in the SEC. So, you know, he's not going to be. Um, Which kid is this, by the way? His name is it's T.O. apostrophe O. T.O. apostrophe O. That's his last name, 202, something like that. Henry, he's number 11 for Tennessee. For Tennessee, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's not a big kid, but he played inside. Right. And he did a pretty decent job taking on block. Well, again, I, I think the ideal situation always is to have a guy in for at least spring. And if you're going to, if you're going to steal, from the next signing class to bring somebody in early and, to, and use a scholarship, that guy's got to be able to contribute right away in my mind, or he's got to be somebody be so good. Right that you can't let him go somewhere else. He'd be able to contribute right away. As a matter of fact, if he came in, even in the fall, um, Brooks would have to be on the team. Right. Um, all right. A couple of other things here. Um, this is from Jeffrey Cook, JPC867. With the release of the season schedule, what is the biggest possible speed bump for next season? Um, obviously, obviously, it's Alabama, right? <laughs> I mean, there's nobody <laughs> as good as Alabama on the schedule. Um, but I guess if you had to pick a second team, Calvin, who is the, who is the next biggest uh, speed bump? I guess it would be North Carolina. Right, for obvious reasons, they, they are the key to the Coastal Division. you got to be able to beat them to get to the ACC championship game. And, you know, when I did my breakdown today uh, that came out this morning and I've been working on it for a couple of weeks, uh, 
you know, I really I wouldn't sleep on Appalachian State. I know that their quarterback, you know, they've they they changed from Zach Thomas to that Chase Bryce kid, but they got a lot of experienced older guys, especially at running back, receiver. They got some sixth and seventh year guys in the secondary on defense. So instead of getting beat by 25, they'll get beat by 17. Well, and they've played a lot of good power five teams. And they got a couple wins. They beat North Carolina and South Carolina a couple years ago. And yeah. they're not afraid of the moment. So to me, that's not an easy game. Like, I put it this way. It ain't UAB. It ain't Central Connecticut State. Like, to me, it's a better version <laughs> of those group of five schools. And so I, I wouldn't sleep on that game. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. UAB, over the last three years, has actually got a better record than uh, Appalachian State. Right, but UAB, I don't. These guys, for whatever reason, consistently have won between nine and twelve games for the last six years, and they've had three different head coaches. So, yeah. and they've played Power Five teams. I don't know how often UAB has played Power Five teams. I don't know if they've beaten any Power Five teams. So, I think you know, to me, they're a team that has a tradition. They're not afraid, and yes, Miami stomped them whatever, four or five years ago, whatever, Mark Rick's first season, I think it was 2016. They beat him 45 to 10 and boom, but. It was exceptional, so, yeah. But whatever. Uh, that second game, I'm not just like, hey, it's going to be easy. And then well, I, I think, think. I think I think initially the first quarter or so, they're going to put up a fight. Mm-hmm. Because we're either going to have a hangover from the biggest victory we've had in. 15 years, or we're coming off a stinging loss. So either way, it's either going to be a let up or a let down. And I've told you many times, and I've told this, you know, Coach Justice, that I don't worry about this team. I was like, I wouldn't worry about this team against Appalachian State if we lose the game against Alabama. Mm -hmm. I would be somewhat worried if we win and win convincingly. <laughs> Because you ain't gonna be able to tell these cats nothing. I mean, they're gonna be out on South Beach. They're gonna have every every cute girl patting them on the back, trying to come over to the apartment. I mean, you know, they're gonna be getting free food from every restaurant. Teachers gonna be telling them they ain't gotta come to class that week. And then, you know, maybe they let their guard down and don't watch too much film they should be, and they gotta struggle. I doubt that happens. But that's the thing I think you got to be worried about in our history. We've shown that in the last few years, the kids can't handle success because they should. Right. What I like about the schedule, they got 16 days to prepare for North Carolina. North Carolina. There's also a on the road, back home, on the road, back home, on the road, back home finish over the last you know seven games of the season. Yes, you're playing Virginia on five days rest after playing Central Connecticut State, but that's a game where, you know, you should see nothing but freshmen and sophomores playing in that game. You should be able to rest all of your seniors and juniors and just let the young guys play in that game. And, you know, to me, uh, you should be fresh. You know, your best players should be fresh to play against Virginia uh, five days after a football game. So, you know. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the rest of the ACC, I mean, to me, North Carolina State and North Carolina are the two best teams they'll face 
in terms of ACC opponents, and those are you know games two and three. And one well, of- I, I'll, I'll say this: I'll say this. Even though they look like they're down, we do got to go to Tallahassee, and it is our arch rival, and we have been kicking them in the rib for the last four years. This this might be the year that they they try and punch back. Now they may punch, and there's no fight for the punch. But I just don't. I mean, this is sounds like I'm crazy. about to say, but I have more confidence in Florida State than their alumni because mm-hmm. they jumped off that ship right now. I mean, you, you know, you got guys that are you know saying, "Hey, um, you know, that's my school. I'm always support them." But like this past year was not fun, Florida State. It's like it's like you see a little old lady coming down the street and you take her purse. It's like there's no joy out of that. It's like you're you're a monster. That's what it was like the talk noise from Florida State got because there was no fight. And it's just no fun seeing a program like this because it's no fun being. Now, with that being said, we need to kick them some more. Because they beat us seven years in a row. So we owe them at least three more years of straight ass kicking in uh you know uh violations. One of, the, one of the things I included in my article today where I broke down all 12 of the opponents, Kelvin, was what the last five recruiting classes have been ranked. And for Florida State, you go back five years ago, they were sixth in the country. You go back four years ago, they were 11th. Then you skip ahead to the last three years, and they're 18th, 22nd, and 30th. So clearly um, – the one thing that they are encountering now is there's a lot less elite, quote unquote, elite recruits in their the, eva- the evaluation. I, I, I just, I don't know. Jimbo took his foot off the gas after he won the championship. And when Willie came in, wow. <laughs> I don't know what, well, I don't know what the hell with And I really like the guy that's there now. I just think that it's going to take him a couple of years. And lucky for him, FSU is broke. So they, they can't just scrap the whole thing in two years. Because Jack Nichols ain't going to give him no more money. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Right. Well, they did get Mackenzie Milton from UCF, and he's a kid who won his last 23 starts for the Knights before he had that horrific knee injury. And I guess they're counting on him to... I'm, I'm, I'm excited to around with the offense. On, I'm excited to see him back on the field for the simple fact that um, I actually had foot surgery. I was in the hospital... Watching the game when it happened, and uh, nurse was in there actually talking about my foot and surgery. And as it was happening, I will never forget this. She's like, "Ooh, you might lose that leg." She said it just like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Huh?" 
Like, yeah, that's a compound fracture. And she started explaining to me, like, when you have a compound fracture, infection moves in quick. Right. And that's kind of what happened with Alex Smith. You know, in both cases, in Milton and with Smith, they recognized right away what was going on and they rushed them to the hospital. Mm-hmm. But in Smith's case, because he got grass into the, into the, uh, into the, got some grass and dirt into the bone mm-hmm. and it got infected. And it just, you, you have to see that short film that, that E60 thing that, that, that ESPN did on Alex. I, I, I ain't gonna lie, it brought me to tears. But when it shows his leg, you know, and McKenzie Milton wasn't as bad, but he had, if I'm not mistaken, he had more surgery than Alex Smith did. And he was as close to losing his leg as Alex Smith was. Right. No, so, I mean, he, I'm rooting for him 11 games next year. <laughs> now, <laughs> hey, I, if he gets hurt against us and they got to take him out because he got a concussion, hey, oh well. But <laughs> I'm rooting for the kid. I think he's going to make them better, but they just lost so much, man. They lost a lot. Well, listen, just from the transfer portal, okay, they've got eight players who have transferred in. And eleven who have transferred out, and and they lost they lost like five starters. They lost Corey Durden. Corey Durden would have been their best D lineman coming back. Right, Corey Durden's at NC State now. Um, Somebody and, else is at NC State. You lost two guys at NC State. Yeah, Cyrus Fagan, the safety, is also at NC State. They both transferred over there. And then um, what they did get some guys who who came in who could help them. And and one of the guys that I identified among those eight was a former South Carolina defensive tackle, Kier Thomas, who's a kid who played it at Miami Central. He started 32 games at South Carolina, and he ain't bad. And they also um, – He'll play – he'll probably be a defensive end. Right. Because he played both tackle and end. Right. And they also picked up a kid from Georgia who started three games uh, in 2020, had four sacks. This was Johnson. amazing. I I didn't realize this because I didn't follow the Seminoles all season. Do you know that they finished with 10 sacks for the entire season? Now that I didn't know. I mean, they just could not get to the quarterback. Well, and... I'll tell you what happened. Marvin Wilson was hurt. He was their pass rusher inside. By the way, he's showing his ass at the season. So whatever money he lost during the season, I think he's going to pick it back up mm-hmm. this week. Um, and then the biggest problem he had is, the guys who were supposed to be their edge rushers, who were supposed to be highly touted, they mm-hmm. just shit the bed. They didn't. They just never developed. So they didn't have a Brian Burns coming off the edge, somebody similar. And they had to blitz more than they normally would. And you know, other than Asante Samuel, their secondary was suspect. Right. And well, you know what? What's funny is this: how you say that guy's name? Hands that the the Rosaldine guy, mm-hmm. just, right? The he, safety, uh huh. He is lighting it up at the senior bowl. Yeah, I mean their oh. their their defense had a lot of guys. Asante Samuel, who you mentioned, is is going into the draft, um, and they finished 105th in scoring defense, 36 Jeez. points a game, 97th against the run, 199 <sighs> yards a game, and 95th in passing efficiency. Gave up 6.5 yards per play, which ranked 105th. I mean, that was horrendous, and that was with some good players in it. 
And now they're kind of scrambling to find pieces in the transfer portal. So as much as you might root 11 times for Mackenzie Milton, I'm pretty confident they're not going to win those other 11 times. No, they'll be lucky to win six games. If they go to a bowl game, it's, it's a successful season. Yeah. And, you know, I just – it's sad to see that because I don't have the vitriol for Florida State that I do for Florida. Listen, folks, Florida about to get it in their liver. And I'm going to enjoy every moment of it. Because <laughs> Dan Mullen is a pompous ass. And the program the, – the, the Florida Gator people as a whole is a pompous ass. I, I just been waiting for this. I just can't wait because Emory Jones ain't that dude. Yep. Um, I think Miami's last three games, I mean, obviously Duke is, is a bit of a disaster. Uh, their quarterback situation is not good. And Chase Bryce, who left for Appalachian State, wasn't very good. He got beat 48 nothing by the Hurricanes. But the uh, Virginia Tech is kind of like Florida State situation as well. They're five and six or coming off a of five and six season. And they lost a lot of their uh, firepower in the backfield. Hendon Hooker, Khalil Herbert, and they lost some good offensive linemen, um, including. Yeah, they got two that transferred to um, one, the center and uh, their best guard, both transferred to other places, and they're both going to start. Right. Listen, um, I don't know who Justin Puente has pictures of in the administration, but they must have been some home dingers. But there's no reason why he should still be coached there. The players don't like him. The media doesn't like him. The fan base doesn't. Well, and, I and, mean, it's a triple play. And I would say the other problem with them is, you know, not only did they lose, you know, Hooker, who who was the better quarterback of the two, Braxton Burmeister is going to be the guy who probably takes over. In fact, he's the only quarterback on the roster with at least 10 college snaps or 10 college yeah. pass attempts. So it, he is the guy. Um, defensively, they weren't very good last year without Bud Foster. They finished 82nd in scoring defense, 85th against the run, and 103rd in total yards. And they lost four key starters. Well, Uh, I'll say this. I'll say this. They're trying to make a transition in the style of linemen that they recruit. If you notice, like the Jared Hewitt kid from Venice that played today, Mm-hmm. Short, squatty guys, 6'1", 300, 6'2", 290. They're now going after the 6'4", 280, 6'6", 290 type guys. Right. It's going to be two years. It's going to be another year this year, and then maybe next year you start to see a little difference. But I got to be honest with you. When I, when I was tracking Virginia Tech in the summertime, and I was looking at their roster, and people were, you know, the preseason magazines had them ranked, you know, over us. I was like, Ray Charles must be making these predictions because <laughs> they can't be seeing what I'm seeing. When you look, like, when you look at, the, when you have a depth chart and you look at the depth chart and you look at the players, you said, and, and, and this is, you know, when I'm evaluating who we play and I'm looking at the, their depth chart and I'm looking at us and I'm like, if we lose these motherfuckers, you know, and they fall into that category. Yeah, they're another team that has tried to tr- turn to the transfer portal to get some help. Uh, Jordan Williams, who was a defensive tackle, former four-star recruit from Clemson, he's going to come in. He's a bigger player, physical player that they hope you know. Who's been in the trenches? What he did, what he didn't do at Clemson. 
Um, their best player might be this Amari Barno guy who had 16 tackles for loss and six and a half sacks. And he's kind of the the type of guy. I mean, they finished ninth in sacks per games last year, 3.27 per game. So which guy that, are you talking about? Uh defensive end Amari Barno. I think he's like six seven. Yeah. Two. Yeah, he so, wasn't bad. Yeah, he's their he's their best player. But again, like Florida State, to me, you mentioned it, you know, another team in transition. So, you know, two of the Miami's biggest rivals in the conference, Florida State and Virginia Tech, those are two very winnable games in November. Georgia Tech is still at least a year away in my mind. I mean, they back-to-back three-win seasons. I know that they've got the young quarterback and Jeff Sims and Jameer Gibbs, the running back, but they they were a hot mess uh, on both sides of the ball. And they went to the transfer portal. The best guy that they got was a kid out of Old Dominion, a defensive end, Keon White, who um, had 19 tackles for loss and five sacks in 2019. They didn't Old Dominion didn't play last year um, in 2020, but the kid comes over, he'll help them. But I mean, for the most part, man, like I look at this and it, and it really, the last four games, the last five games, even October 30th at Pittsburgh, Miami's got to be favored to win all those games pretty easily. So the first, it, to me, it's the first seven games that I look at and I say, okay, this is make or break. I think NC state with their quarterback, uh, Devin Leary, you know, Miami didn't even face him last year. He's got all of his receivers back, including that Amika Amezi kid who I know. Oh, he came back? He did. He came back. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. There's one addendum to NC State that I think could be big in their program. They lost George McDonald as the receivers coach. He's now at Illinois with Brett Bielema. Okay. I can tell you this right now. There's a lot of there's a lot of discord and jankiness in the coaching staff. Um, they're going to be better. They also lost their best player up front on defense, Alan McNeil, the nose guard. Yeah, and that's who Corey Durden essentially is going to replace. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. They got 12 of the team's leading tacklers back. So – they, on defense, the guys who were productive for them, I'm not saying they were necessarily the best, but in terms of production, all of their linebackers who were highly productive. Peyton guy. What's that guy's name? Peyton, uh, whatchamacallit. He, he's back. Well, both of those inside guys are back. Yeah, the top 12 leading tacklers. So to me, NC State, you know, that's normally in years past, you would say, man, Miami's got to play a really good Florida State team, right? Like the crossover yeah. game. I feel like NC State has replaced Florida State, at least in terms of the challenge. Like 44-41, they have some receivers. That's what Miami beat them by in Raleigh last year. Like to me, they're going to come down here and they should be formidable. They should be a good team. And that and that's going to be the week right after you play North Carolina on the road, which we know, you know, with their quarterback, Sam Howell, that's going to be a tough matchup. But I think Miami should definitely beat Virginia. I think obviously Central Connecticut State is a great game to 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 get a look at Jake Garcia and Tyler yeah, Van Dyke. Yeah. And then I would say Michigan State, you know, I know they had two wins over ranked opponents last year, but uh, I think they beat Northwestern and Michigan. Um, First of all, let me explain something to you. They played Big Ten teams. I have no respect for them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Again, to me, Michigan State is just like Florida State and, and uh, Virginia Tech. Right. Well, they, they're going to be they're going to be a little bit better than both of those teams because the redshirt freshman quarterback they have, mm-hmm. 
I was like the kid that played quarterback last year for him, uh, the Rocky Lombardi kid. Yeah, and he- I don't, I don't normally say this about players, you know, because I, you know, he's not a bad guy, but he just utter trash. Mm-hmm. And they upgraded. He got hurt like the second to last game of the year, and he didn't, he didn't play. And so they put in. Say what this guy's name is. Remember this name, because uh, he really, I was really impressed with him at quarterback. He's a true freshman. Uh, he's a little taller. He's like six five, maybe two twenty. Hold on one second. Where is this guy? Ah, oh, Peyton Thorne. Actually, he's only six two. Mm-hmm. And he's actually actually not a true freshman. Well, they, he came in and did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Well, they went out and they got the Temple starting quarterback Anthony Russo, who was a three-year starter. Uh, that's what I don't know if he's going to beat Thorn out. You don't know if he's going to be what? I don't know if he's going to beat Thorn kid out. Well, I mean, they brought him in. I mean, I, I tend to think you know there's going to be a competition there, and then they also uh, went out and got a running back from Auburn and another one from Wake Forest. Um, you know, they, they they also lost 15 players to the transfer portal, like Florida State lost 11. I mean, this yeah, is a team – I, I guess what I'm saying is when you look at this this schedule, I think obviously Alabama's one, then you go North Carolina, NC State, and then probably Appalachian State. I would say those are the four toughest games. You should win at least the last two, which would be, you know, NC State – and Appalachian State, both of those are home games. And then after that, the last eight, I mean, Miami should be in great shape. I, I, I just think Michigan but, State, Virginia Tech, Florida I, State, I just, all of those teams aren't ready to beat I, a be team honest, like Miami at this point. To, to, to be honest with you, I mean, I get what you're saying about Appalachian State them being tough and all, but they're not in competition. It boils down to NC State, UNC, and Bama. Those are the three games that uh, we need to have our head on a swivel for. And then Pitt's lost too much. Georgia Tech is a year away. But let me tell you something. Georgia Tech's going to scare a lot of people, and they're going to surprise a couple people. Because Jeffrey Sims and Jameer Gibbs in 2022 are going to be the best dynamic duo in the, um, in the ACC. Right. Well, they're going to be better. There's for sure. I mean, you're going to expect improvement, but I think they've got so many issues on defense that it's, it's still yeah <clears throat> a year or two away from really getting to the point where they want to go. Um, Pittsburgh is interesting only in the sense that they brought their starting quarterback back their three-year starter. Yeah. Um, that's what makes it interesting. Kenny, Kenny, Kenny Pickett, Kenny Pickett. Yeah. He is, um, he's pretty good. Well, and you, and you know that, they're always look. They got a lot of guys to replace on the defensive side of the ball, but they're always going to have guys who emerge. Um, so, and, and Pickett has that young freshman receiver Jordan Addison, who had sixty catches, six hundred sixty-six yeah, yards, and four touchdowns last year. And he's a highly productive guy who you're going to see probably on some of the preseason teams. So, those are their two best players. And obviously, they still don't have a running game. Again, I, this to me should be a nine, ten, eleven win type team for the Hurricanes this year. And no doubt, no doubt. There's listen, there's really no excuse. 
even with the loss of Baker, the, the continuity of the staff, I think, is going to be better. Um, because if you, when you look at it, he's got himself and T Rob on the, on the uh, defensive side with the coordinator experience. Then he's got three guys on the offensive side with the coordinator experience. So you got a lot of young players. And then Jess Simpson will be a coordinator. Maybe, maybe end up being a coordinator in the pros because he is highly thought of. So you're talking about a really good staff. And they'll be in the second year of, you know, in this system um, on offense. And all the guys that started last year on defense will be back. Right. Pretty much. And, you know, familiarity, you can't overrate it, underrate it, excuse me, overrate it, better because you, you know, when you, when you get into a, a groove, like, you know, this year, even though Corey and Kai and Skate and all those guys have starting experience, they were still learning. They're in a learning process because, you know, so the calls are different. Some of the techniques are different. But when they go to spring practice later on this year, uh, March, mm-hmm. it's going to be like putting on those old reliable house slippers. The guy that I'm most excited about, Keyshawn Smith can go and have a great spring and then a good offseason and a good fall camp. He could be the X factor that takes us over the hump because he'll mm-hmm. be the deep threat. And then on defense, I'm excited see the improvement in um, Corey Flagg. Right. No, I know you're fired up about those guys. I mean, those are the young guys you can identify as, as you know, especially guys you hope uh, take the next step this year. Well, I mean, it's just such a difficult year here. Nobody had a full spring practice. You know, teams had coaches missing. I mean, it was just—it was crazy. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, it can be, get back to normal for everyone, not just us, but all of our football. Right. We'll see. Listen, man, I appreciate you joining me. We covered up uh, a lot of the subjects here. We covered a lot of the subjects. Uh, Blake Baker certainly did the news of the day, and then of course the schedule. And uh, I think we'll be back with another episode soon. I don't know when, but uh, as news permits, we will be coming back here on the Wide Right Podcast. Thanks again, Kelvin. Ain't no problem. All right, guys. See you next time. Three zero five nine five four five six eight.